Amen. Amen. Good morning, Crossway. Um, yeah, I was sharing in first service too uh, that the real reason why uh, I'm taking the sabbatical is because uh, Lois's birthday is coming up in February. And uh, apparently first birthdays in the Korean culture have to be like second weddings. So we've got to gear up for that. Uh-huh. No, I'm just kidding. Just, for all, in all seriousness, uh, we're, my wife and I were excited for um, the sabbatical, just a time to physically rest, um, spiritually be refreshed. And I'll be you know, reading and writing a little bit, but also learning more about how to do a better podcast and uh, things like that. So, yeah, if I can ask uh, if you could just pray for us as well. And I'm excited for the birthday, too. Uh, yeah, that birthday will be really exciting. Um, you know, the birthday is always nice because, you know, you get to reflect back and you think about, you know, how faithful God was and all the great things that God has been doing in that past year. And then you get to look forward, look ahead to see, wow, how big is she going to come, big, big is she going to get, how, what is she going to do in her life? And uh, with that first birthday in Korean culture, they have this thing called, like, Jabi, right? I think I'm saying it right. But what they do is uh, they set up a few objects in front of the baby and, uh, Depending on what object they choose, it'll determine their future destiny, right? Kind of a big deal. So if they pick up a basketball, which is what I'm really banking on for, for Lois, she'll become a WNBA superstar, right? Or she picks up a pen, she'll be a scholar, money, she'll be rich, and things like that, right? So uh, birthdays are an opportunity for you to look back, thank God, reflect on the past year, but also look ahead and say, wow. What else does God have in store? And the reason why I share this is because as we come to our passage here today, uh, as we go through the series, the Gospel of John, we're in chapter 7, and they're celebrating another annual celebration. It's a, it's a traditional uh, festival, Feast of Tabernacles, or it could be translated as Feast of Booths, right? And it's a feast that takes place every fall, in the fall season, and it's an opportunity for them to look back and remember God's faithfulness as they gather all the harvest and remember how much God had provided for them. But it's also an opportunity for them to look forward and to pray for the October rains, when the rainy season from October to March happens, that God would provide these rains for another successful harvest. But primarily, it was to commemorate, the Feast of Tabernacles was to commemorate the wilderness exodus. If you guys remember, from this time when they're, when they're celebrating this, 1,300 years ago, from Egypt, the Israelites had been freed from Pharaoh. Moses had led them through the wilderness and the wanderings. And the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, was a commemoration of God leading them in and through that situation. right? And so... What they would do is they would create these temporary shelters, uh, these things called booths, right? And there's a picture here. And it was made out of branches and leaves, and they would put it along their, you know, their structures, their homes, and they would live there for the duration of the festival. The festival lasted seven days. So each day they would live there, and it would remind them of the Israelites who were wandering in the wilderness and who lived in temporary homes, right? And as they did this, they thought, this is a reminder of God's faithfulness as he brought us out and he brought us here. 
One of the fascinating customs during the seven days of this feast, uh, and they did this every day, is that the high priest would come down from the temple, and there's another uh, little photo here, would come down from the temple, walk that red path to the pool of Siloam. He would have a golden jug. He would scoop up water from that jug, and he would take it back up to the temple behind a, a procession of trumpets, of singing, of people reading Psalm uh, 113 to 118, which is the Hallel Psalms, which are psalms of declared praise to God. And they're just, there's just this festival. It's the joy, one of the most joyous festivals for the Jewish traditions. And they're walking up. They get to the temple. They come to the altar in the temple. And what the high priest does is he gets the golden jug filled with water, and he pours it on the altar along with a wine offering. Right? And this was first to remember, to commemorate the wilderness exodus. But on top of that, in that moment, there was a specific event that they're celebrating. They're celebrating and remembering the moment when they were thirsty. The, when they were in the desert, they were parched. They were complaining before God, saying, where is this water? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Did you just bring us out here to die? We'd rather be in Egypt. They're complaining. And God tells Moses to grab his staff, to strike a rock. And when he strikes the rock, the rock gushes out water. And not just a little bit of water, but he gushes out of water to the point where it becomes a stream, a river, where all of Israel is able to drink from that water, including all the livestock. Right? And so they remember that picture, and they're thankful, and they say, God, quenched our thirst in that wilderness, right? And so the picture of them pouring out the water was a reminder of God's abundance as he poured out that water. Now, it was not only a reflection of that and a reminder of that, but it also symbolized a promise that God had for them, right? And the promise was found in Ezekiel 47, and it's this beautiful picture of the temple, of the tabernacle, right? And Ezekiel, the prophet, God is giving him this vision, and he shows them this tabernacle, and he says from the threshold, from the door, from the bottom of it, almost like there's a spring underneath the temple, water starts to well up, and it starts to froth, and it starts to build up, and it starts to grow. And there's a picture, and it starts to come out of the temple and heads east, and as it flows east, it starts to grow wider and deeper and longer to the point where it reaches the sea. And it's to the point where Ezekiel says in the vision that he's in there and it's up to his knees and then up to his waist and it's to a point where he can't even swim across it because it's so vast. And the, the distinctive characteristic of this river that flows, this vision that he's having, is that everything that this river touches flourishes, it thrives. All of the trees and the plants and the swarms of insects the fish, everything thrives and flourishes. On top of that, the people benefit. The people flourish. The people are thriving. In verse 10, it says, Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engedi to Eneglaim, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, their fruit, nor their fruit fail. 
But they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. They said they'll have plenty of fish. They'll have trees whose leaves never wilt. and Their fruit will never fail. You know, for someone who kills plants regularly, you know, this is an amazing truth, right? That it will never wilt. The leaves will never wilt. And on top of that, the, the fruit that's bore from the trees, we bore every month. This is unusual, right? Usually you have fruit that's bore every season, and then you have to do the whole process again in the next season. But this is every month, the trees will bear fruit for you to eat. There will be plenty to eat uh, in, the, in the fish in the sea. And not only that, the leaves. When you grab the leaves, they'll be used for healing. So this is an unusual circumstance, but this is a place where not only the animals thrive and the plants thrive, but people thrive. Because now they no longer have to pray for water, you know, in the desert, pray for rain, because this river that flows from the tabernacle will sustain them. They'll be healthy, they'll be uh, satisfied, and they'll be provided for abundantly. And this is the promise in Ezekiel 47 that the Israelites are looking for, they're waiting for, as they host this Feast of the Tabernacles. They're waiting for that day when God will provide that stream that comes from the tabernacle that will flow into the sea where they don't have to worry about the harvest or the crops or the rain if it's going to come or not because they know that the stream from the, river, from the tabernacle will sustain them and allow them to abundantly flourish. Now, this is something that they've been waiting for 1,300 years. So imagine that. Over 1,300 feasts of tabernacles. 1,300 festivals. And each time, they're thanking God for what He did in, in Exodus, and they're praying ahead, asking the Lord for the rain and for that future time when the temple will be the one that flows the river. Now this is the context where Jesus appears, right? Jesus appears on the last day of this festival. The, se the festival was seven days long. Jesus appears on the last day of the festival, and this is what he tells the people. In verse 37, John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. All of you who thirst, who long for that vision of the tabernacle with the water flowing so that you would be abundantly satisfied, you would be fully fed, that your thirst would be quenched. For those of you who are longing for that time and who are doing this festival year after year, he says, all of you who are thirsty, come to me and drink. He is presenting himself now as the fulfillment of this feast. He says, you no longer have to do this feast. You've done it for 1,300 years. You no longer have to do it because I am now the fulfillment of this feast. That out of me will flow a river that will provide for you abundantly. That you will thrive because of the river that flows from me. And this is a promise for not only Israel, this is a promise that he gives to us, to God's people, that those who are thirsty, those who drink from him, will thrive and flourish when we drink from the water that Jesus provides. Now, what is this water? This water that flows from the tabernacle that Jesus provides is not simply material blessing. 
is not simply the provision of fruits that we can eat every month. It's not material things, but it's a spiritual provision. It's a spiritual blessing. Because Jesus knows that our greatest need is not a material one, but it's a spiritual one. Jesus knows that our greatest need is not for more things and more possessions. Our greatest need is actually not even a desire to know what our purpose in life is, or our identity, or security, or to be accepted, or even for our children's well-being. All of those are great things, but Jesus knows that that is not our greatest need. He knows that that is not our greatest thirst. He knows that the greatest thirst that we need to be quenched is a need for our souls to be saved. He knows that because of our sin, because of our misgivings and all the sins that we've committed, we need salvation. We need the wrath, the destruction, the death, the judgment that we deserve to be satisfied, to be quenched. And that that is our greatest thirst. And that is our greatest need. And for us here, for, for, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, for us who are believers, who live on this side of the cross, who have accepted Jesus Christ, we know that the provision that Jesus Christ gives is his own body, right? That he dies on the cross for us. And what we see here is that he himself is presenting himself as the tabernacle, right? Through the entire book of John, what we see is that he's sharing himself to be the new tabernacle. I'm the fulfillment of that vision that you had, the feast that you're giving. I'm the fulfillment of this because I'm the new tabernacle. And now from me, I flow this water that blesses you. What's amazing about this, and I think John is brilliant, and I think God is amazing because he's using John to write this, is that at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, when we know that God, that's the point when Jesus is providing that provision for us, right? When he dies on the cross, our sins are nailed to the cross. This is when that provision is being provided. And John's the only one that does this. In all the four Gospels, John's the only one that mentions this. But he says this at the crucifixion. When the soldiers see Jesus on the cross, and they see that he's dead, this is what happens in John chapter 19, verse 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. No one else mentions that there's blood and water that flows out of Jesus on the cross, except for John, because he's painting this picture of Jesus being the tabernacle, being the new temple that flows out this river, and he's saying, on the cross flows out blood and water. Remember, the high priest, when he grabs that golden jug and he pours out the water on the altar, he pours out the water and uh, a wine offering, symbolizing the blood, the water. And here we see in John that when his side is pierced, comes out blood and water. He's showing that he is the new tabernacle. And those who drink from the river that flows from Jesus, they are the ones who will now receive abundant blessing, 
abundant fruitfulness, and they will thrive and flourish. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ, by his salvation, that we would move from death to life. Now, I don't know if there's any of us here who have not yet received Jesus Christ as their Savior. But the amazing blessing in this passage is that anyone who wants to receive this life-giving water, to receive it abundantly, to have their thirst quenched, he says, all you need to do is to thirst. Verse 37 says, if anyone thirsts, that's the only prerequisite, that's the only condition that you need to be able to drink this water. To understand your condition before God. That we are desperately in need of this. You know, in every contract, there's stipulations of you do this, and then you get this. But here, there's nothing. You have to provide nothing of your own. You only have to thirst for this. And the question and the invitation that we have today is, do you thirst? Do you thirst? Do you thirst for that life-giving water that Jesus provides? for salvation and to thrive and to flourish in him. You know, when we hear this invitation, when Jesus' invitation is, you know, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. I don't know if us in today's day, we understand the gravity of his statement. Particularly because I think we don't necessarily thirst as much, right? It's never a life or death situation. Oftentimes it's more about preference, right? When someone asks you, are you thirsty? It's like, what do you want to drink? You know, do you want a Coke, or do you want water, or do you want soda? You know, it's, it's more about preference, right? It's almost as if when Jesus is offering this, if we understand it in that context, that Jesus is a bartender, and he's like, hey, are you thirsty? Come to me and drink. What do you want? Right? And we're, we're giving him an opinion. We're like, oh, give me this, give me that. But there are parts of the world, like in uh, Uganda, where women have to walk three miles to the well. And they're facing the threat of robbery, uh, even uh, being killed or raped. And they have to make this trek every day because water is so important. Now, for someone that has to do that, and someone invites them to say, hey, if you're thirsty, come and drink, there's a lot more gravity there, right? It's a lot more serious. It's a matter of life and death. And you understand how serious it is for me to come and take that water. Right? And it's the same thing in this passage. Remember, the people who are in the land of Canaan in Israel, in Israel they're surrounded by salt water on the east, in the west and desert on the north, south, and east. They have no means of getting water. They're fully dependent on the rain to provide for them, or they have to go to a well. That's why the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she walks to the well every day to grab water for herself. And it was very peculiar because she was going by herself in the heat of the day when it was the hottest, when it was the most dangerous because she was by herself. And yet she did it because she was thirsty, because it was a matter of life and death. And so is the case for us in our spiritual lives. That this decision, this need for the spiritual life-giving water that Jesus provides is a matter of life and death for us. 
And it's not just a preference. It's not just, I'll try this. I'll try some of Jesus. But it's Jesus and only Jesus. That he is the only need, the desperate need that all of us need. You know, I think many of us, we would agree to that and we would say amen to that. But the truth is that in our lives, there's so many things going on. There's so many different needs and so many things that mask themselves as thirst, right? Desperate thirst. Um, and the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we have the proper thirst? You know, oftentimes we think, you know, I'm, what I really need is good grades. You know, you think about that when you're in high school or college. I need, I need good grades so that I can get a good job, so that I can get a good job and eventually I could get a promotion, and then I can get a good promotion, uh, I also need a raise, and then I'll be satisfied. That's when my quench will be, uh, sat oh, my thirst will be quenched or I'll be satisfied. Or I need a girlfriend or a boyfriend and then I need a spouse and then we need a house and a perfect life and we need the perfect kids and I need to retire and be comfortable. That's when I'll be satisfied. And again, these are not bad things. But these are not the main things. These are preferences. These are our opinions of what will be good for us. And these are all good things. But in the end, if these are our end pursuits, they will never satisfy. You know, I like this quote by John Piper as he comments on how insufficient all of the other needs are or all the other preferences are that we mask as uh, thirsts and needs. And he actually says something interesting because he says, when you're not satisfied by this, it's actually an act of grace. And listen to what he says in, John, uh, in this passage or in this, in this quote. But God is gracious. He frustrates the human race again and again. He causes every wreath to wither, every gold cup to tarnish, every muscle to sag, every face to wrinkle every sexual exploit to go sour, every sin to sting until we have put him off too long. He wants us for himself. He wants everything but himself to grow dim in our eyes. He offers to heal our spiritual taste buds. And if you feel the slightest desire for Christ this morning, then you can know that God is doing surgery on the diseased taste buds of your soul so that you will thirst for Jesus. Let nothing stand in your way. There is only one condition Earnest desire for what Jesus has to give. Earnest desire. This is the thirst that he's talking about. That as you've tried all of these different things, and you've, all you've met at the end of those are dead ends, dissatisfied. All of that actually is an act of grace. Because God is saying, I hope you realize that that is not the main thing that there is something greater. And he wants you to pursue and find out what that greater thing is. And what he's doing is he's leading you to taste of the water that Christ offers. This is what Scripture says when he says to come. Let him come who is thirsty. Let him who desires take the water of life without price. God desires that we come to him taste of the water that he provides to receive salvation, to find life and find it in abundance. So my prayer for us in 2020 
is that we would find that to be a priority as a matter of life and death to thirst for Jesus, to be satisfied in him. As I close, I also want to add this interesting point. Because, remember, Ezekiel 47 paints a picture of a tabernacle. And the water flows out of it, right? And whatever the water touches, it blesses uh, and helps to thrive. So the plants, the people, the fish, all of that, they, they, they flourish. And they thrive because of the river that's flowing out of this tabernacle. And then we said, Jesus is a new tabernacle. John paints Jesus as a new tabernacle, and out of his, the water that flows from him, through his sacrifice, people who drink of it, they find fruitfulness and abundance and salvation and healing, right? But what's really cool is that he says, for all of us who drink that water, he says, we're going to receive the Spirit. And now we will be the temple. And out of us that flows out, those who drink of that water will be able to thrive and flourish and to be healed, to know Jesus through the influence of our lives. In John 7, 38, the very next verse, he says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He says, those who believe, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And verse 39 says, now this he said about the Spirit. He's talking about when you accept Jesus Christ, you receive the Spirit. The Spirit flows out of you like a living water. And all who are in your proximity, in your workplace, your colleagues, uh, your family, your relatives, the person that you see when you're in line waiting for a meal, everyone will be able to thrive and flourish and to know Christ because the Spirit that is working in you. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17, Paul picks up this language. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's Spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? That Jesus Christ has given us the Spirit and now we're called as people who are filled by the Spirit to influence and impact and help others to flourish. And that doesn't mean you make other people rich, you make other people healthy, all those things, which are great, but it's that you share with them the greatest thirst that they have, the thirst of salvation, that their souls will be saved, a matter of life and death, to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that is my challenge for us today as we approach 2020. Uh, May the truth of this image resonate, that Jesus as a tabernacle flows and we receive it and we thirst and we are healed, and that we become the tabernacle, and that we flow and we influence and help others flourish to know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. As you bring this word to life, God, we are so blessed by the image of the tabernacle how you use it to help us flourish, to help us abound in you. And it's through the sacrifice of Jesus, through his shedding of of his blood on that cross, that we may receive this new life, God. So Lord, I pray that for our church, that you would build in us 
a deep thirst that can only be quenched when we come and drink of the water Jesus provides. As we come to his word, as we come to prayer, as we come to live the life in the spirit that you have called us to, that we would then and only then be satisfied. Lord, I pray that as we overflow in that spirit, that we would then go out to the world to impact and influence and help those to thrive and to flourish as they hear about Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for their life. We thank you for this time, and we love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.